0: Radio Rahim here with Quest Love. At this point in the fight, when the jab starts working and you find the right hand, you begin dictating the pace. Quest Love is about to find both hands working, and his footwork's not bad either. Chapter 3 Yes Man.
1: there was a a window of opportunity that I had to grab. So write a book? Yeah, I'll do it. Teach NYU? Yeah, I'll do it. Open my own hoodie store? Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, wait, I can have my own radio show? Yeah, I'll do it. Oh, and a podcast too? Yeah, I'll do it. Run this website? Yeah, I'll do it. Score this movie? Yeah, I'll do it. Amy Schumer, you want me to work with you? Great. Yeah, I'll do it. So there was a point where I had literally 19 jobs. I got Hamilton by accident. I went to Hamilton thinking it was another play I was working on. And now my manager's like, Dude, we're now doing two Broadway plays. Oh, I didn't know. Someone gave me tickets to Hamilton just to see how a play is run so that we could develop a play. Now I'm 19 jobs in. That didn't serve me either. So now I did the opposite of 2004. I'm now on that Mario Brothers board with all the free gold coins, (laughs) (laughs) grabbing all the shit I can. And my life coach was like, your personal life's in shambles. You're a mess, so we need to drop 10 of these gigs. No, I can't because I'm afraid to, you know, what if I go broken? By the end of December, I had to drop 10 of these things. I had to go through each of them and figure out what do I really need? Like, do I really want to do this or am I just saying yes to everything? At the top of the year, I drop 10 of these gigs and just keep the nine that are passionate to me. And then fate sort of stepped in and then really had a laugh once quarantining started and just knocked me down to zero, which is basically the best thing ever because I thought if I stop, I'll be back in my dad's house broke. You know, and I see rappers on Instagram like, I'll sell a verse for 500 bucks. I didn't want to be that person. And what's weird is that all this time off has actually opened way more doors than any amount of planning. Once I stopped and sat silent, now my dreams are starting to happen.
0: Let me tell you a story. The first time I ever saw you perform. Mm-hmm. So well, I wasn't backstage and have all access passes. Didn't show up with anybody famous. I went to see the guy that people were telling me is this amazing drummer. I didn't know the roots. I confess that. Oh, my God. I'm sitting here like, wait, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, damn. I just told myself. I went to see bands perform. I was like, I'm not going to see a DJ and an MC. That's what the record's for. I want to see a show. And so, House of Blues. This drummer, this drummer, this drummer, this drummer. You got to go see this. Quest, to this day, it's the best hip-hop show I've ever seen. I've never seen any hip-hop artist. Cut to a mirror running out the door right now. (laughs) With a full band doing their songs. That band element is what made it different, what made it unique, what made it the best I'd ever seen. The only reason I was there is because this drummer everyone was talking about. I can see a silhouette of you and everybody knows who that is. But in your mind and the way you are telling it to me makes me feel like you don't recognize that you're driving these narratives.
1: I'm learning the greatest lesson of my life. We all have this thing where, man, like cancel 2020, But then it's like 2020 is the most transformative year of my life because even now, as you said those words, there's still a chip in me. So like, oh, no, don't say that. Don't say that. Please don't say that. It's going to take another six months to a year to own those things because for me to really be comfortable in my own skin, I was raised with a false modesty or humbleness. I mean, in the best case scenario, you have to unlearn maybe 50% of what your parents have taught you, probably 80%. In the beginning, you're taught to not be fool yourself or conceited or narcissistic. And so I always looked at Jay, him owning his kingdom. You look at Kanye, him owning his kingdom. You look at Diddy, him owning his kingdom. I always thought that was a bad thing. I thought that's evil. It's taken me a long time to sit with my thoughts and learn that, oh, I should know who I am and what I represent. Here's the funny thing about it. In a meta way, sounding like an amateur got me where I am, (laughs) which is (laughs) weird. You know, as I said, it took us four records to hit pay dirt. So that first record, when it didn't work, there was kind of an invisible finger pointed at me. Well, you guys don't sound like real hip hop. You sound like a band. It's the drummer's fault. So then there was a chip on my shoulder. And for the second and third record, I was like, all right, I trained myself to be the most meticulous, lifeless, coldest human ever. I was so meticulously quantized. Like, is that a drum machine? Is that a sample? That's not a human being playing that. So, what really made this thing legit was my pairing with both D'Angelo and Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla is a, is a figurehead who, next to Prince, is the only one that even cared to even try to make drum machines sound human. Usually when people get a drum machine, they treat it as an over-glorified metronome. Something to keep time. One minute just to program something, and then it's an afterthought. Whereas these two guys actually put a lot of thought into, hey, on bar 63, I'm going to do a drum roll here. Whereas Dillard will take it even further and program it sloppy as a drummer would. I'm going to speed up slightly here and then slow down here. So there's a human element that's so obvious to it. When I started playing with D'Angelo, in two months, D'Angelo forced me to unlearn everything I ever learned about drums and was like, I want you to play like a drunk three-year-old. Think like a three-year-old that takes like two swigs of Patron. (laughs) That's how I want you to sound. And it created a synergy so dope because he's doing it too. And all the other musicians are doing it too. That it's like, oh, okay, there's, there's strength in numbers. And now all these drummers that were like taking my gigs, you know, the Drummer of the year, modern drummer for five years in a row, no, 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 this guy. was like, yo, man, that, you're unorthodox Pakistan, I like it. And now I hear them trying to do it. And I'm like, mind blown, like, wait a minute. My dad's been forced me in that rat infested, mildew infested, cockroach spiderwebs crowned down my back, basement, summer after summer after summer after five hours a day for like 10 years making my next sound like you guys. And now all of you are lining up. And Not just like my peers, like my idols too. Yo, man, you have such a deep pocket. I'm like, yo, I practiced to your records all my childhood. And now you're saying like, what? He's like, yeah, man, it's just, I want to play like you. And I can't fathom that something as carefree and thoughtless as what I'm doing is now like a thing. That's the irony of it all is that
0: I made my mark not caring. But in your case, it's not the lack of care or concern. It's the ability to be free.
1: With amazing creative genius is a polar opposite of a lot of self-work that often gets neglected. Much to my detriment, I'll say that a big part of my life was just the caretaking and the neglecting myself, you know, my health was bad. I was living off of three hours of sleep a day. Like, I thought that was honorable. I'll work on this record for 10 hours, I'll take a nap for two hours, and then I'll go and work 13 hours on this record. And then I might go to the hotel and shower, but no, then I'll go to the studio scene. So, you do that for 17 years. You can't explain why you suddenly have like lymphedema in your body and all the swelling starts and you know I, at the time i just thought like oh well guess i gained all this weight or whatever like you know these past 8 years living in this dungeon working 24 hours around the clock and my life in touring is 3 hour route shows and then 4 hour dj gigs and then lobby calls always 6am we're always on the first thing smoking next city 5 hour flight next country Sound check for three hours, three-hour root show, four-hour DJ gig. For 20 years, that wear and tear and abuse, no sleep, no health regimen, no exercising, whatever, I just became a mess. Creatively, I was great, but for me, it was about sacrificing for the greater good of the art and that thing. And I thought that was honorable, but really, I think it was just providing more distractions now once all these things were taken away. March of 2020, I had to just sit alone and just be me. And that's when I decided like, okay, well, I'm either going to thrive or I'm going to drown. So what do I want out of life? It took me maybe eight weeks to realize like, oh shit, I'm programmed to not even know how to dream. Yeah. I did wrestle with that a lot. Just dressing bummy and doing anything to throw off the smell that I'm doing well as a performative way to show people like you're still down and you're not selling yourself out I just you know just coming to grips with it now in this year
0: was it a struggle to keep people around you in your real life that weren't performers that weren't exceptional was it hard to stay with people who weren't in that world.
1: And that's the thing I kind of, you know, said with pride, like back in the day, like I don't got no friends, which if you took away girls I was dating, people on payroll and people related to me uh, in my immediate bloodline. So basically my mother and my sister, those were the three people in my life, my mother and my sister family, which no offense to anyone else in my family, but kind of the first people that you lose in the situation is other family members, so, you know, most people I block on Facebook are cousins. Girls I date, in my mind, it's like, okay, this is who one of you is gonna get old and die with me. And then people I work with. Employees can't be your friends. And I learned that lesson too. I'm the boss that like, wants to be everybody's friend. And That's a disaster. Don't wanna, oh God, we gotta let this guy go. And I'm the only guy that keeps people on payroll after I let them go. I'm the worst boss ever. There was no person in my life who wasn't on payroll or who wasn't related to me or in the running to be Mrs. Amir Thompson. There was literally no one else. I need a starting five. Every human being should have their starting five. Who are the other four people in your life that are wise people that have nothing to do with your profession and it's hard as shit to have people in my life that I'm not responsible for that actually have their own lives.
0: With all this self-actualization, you got your starting five now. How much reaching back are you doing over things that you missed while running so hard with blinders on and facilitating so many other people? And now at this stage in life, realizing the things along the way that you didn't do for yourself. Me and my mother, me and my sister,
1: me and Tariq, had our first meaningful rounds of conversations in 30 years. It's different when you run a business with someone, and it got to the point where the jokes were cute, like his tour bus is Slytherin, and my tour bus was Gryffindor. (laughs) We did a gig once with the the Chili Peppers back in 2005. We're in Italy, and we're in a big-ass soccer stadium, 90,000 families. We're at the side of the stage watching the show, and I'm noticing every four songs, these guys get in the football huddle, arms around each other. You can't hear what the microphones are saying, but that's the third time they do it in the show. I was like, strange. So next city, I'm asking Flea. Flea, what do y'all keep doing in those huddles? Are you calling audibles? Are you doing a new song or something? or going over something? I've never seen that before. Nah, man, we're we're just a raggedy band from Los Angeles. We're really grateful. We're showing gratitude. Wait, what? Yeah, man. We're in front of 90,000 people who don't speak the language that know every line of Californication. You're having this conversation on stage? Yeah, man. We just want to be grateful in the moment. I was like, oh. So I get back on the tour bus and I'm my manager. I'm like, yo, man. these is motherfuckers just being happy on stage and being happy to have each other and have the experience and I said, that shit, it's crazy, right? And my manager's like, that sounds about right. I said, you don't, I said, you don't think that's weird? Well, they actually like each other. I was like, oh. I said, whoa, 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 wait, what? And he's like, they actually like each other. I was like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, what? Oh, y'all? Y'all don't like each other. We've been together for 19 years now? Yeah, but y'all don't like each other. Was the last time Tariq slept on the couch of your crib while you worked on music? Dude, Tariq ain't been to your house since 1994. It's like it's 2007. Dude, you have two different tour buses. Y'all come to Soundcheck. He might come to Soundcheck. You might not come to Soundcheck. After the show, you go DJ at some nightclub. You show up in the next city and y'all do the same shit over again. It's like it's cool, but y'all don't like each other. They actually like each other and it shows. This is what happens when you like each other. All right, Maybe we should have like Sunday dinners at each other or something like that. So it was like awkward because we were like best friends and we built this thing. And this thing became really big and then we just became two islands that just came together for the good of the business. Everything I do is behind a shield. DJing shields turntables. I'm behind a drum set. I'm behind Jimmy Fallon. I'm behind Tariq. All shields. To come out and be a talking head. I've avoided that kind of leadership thing for decades. I learned now to accept that I really have to stop this red box driving. Old Navy T-shirt rocking. Reluctant leader shtick that I've been playing for the last thirty years. The amount of times the Obama administration was like, "We need you to be a talking, you know, to give talking points and a voice." That, Wait, y'all want me to do a speech? Again, the fear of I don't know how to do that shit. No, no, no. Projects that I've been offered that I said no to immediately that I should have did. I mean, as a result. My manager's like, no, I'm not letting you weasel your way out of this. You're directing this movie. I don't know. I didn't go to film school. No, no, no. And now it's like, literally, I've been directing the documentary of my dreams for the last three years. A month before Woodstock happened in 1969, there was a black version of Woodstock that happened in Harlem for 300,000 people. All the acts of the day. Stevie Wonder, Staple Singers, Sly and the Family Stone, David Ruffin, The Temptations, B.B. King... Roy Ayers, the Chambers brothers, the Fifth Dimension, Nina Simone, just all the acts of the day. 50 hours captured on tape. Nobody cared. It sat in someone's basement for 50 years and almost went in the trash because the ex-wife was like, I don't have no use for it. Throw it away. And then someone comes to me and is like, you're our guy. You know music. You love music. It's in your DNA. You direct it. You know, in the beginning, I thought it was going to be like me nerding out on performances and music. But the story of this Harlem Cultural Festival is really what we are going through now. And it really didn't start resonating until Black Lives Matter. It's what's happening now, but 50 years ago.
0: You're a giant. I don't mean just in stature. I mean, you are a powerhouse. Thank you. unassuming energy.
1: I'm learning to accept these compliments. Thank That's you.
0: That's <laughs> genuinely infectious. Okay, it's a stop good with the compliments, room. man. It's a good room that, <laughs> that you create. What does
1: Amir mean? It means Prince. In one of the weirdest times of my life, I was working on Common's Electric Circus record, and one night the receptionist calls uh, Studios A that we were in. It says, uh, Amir, Prince is on the line for you? And normally when Prince wants you, someone else calls and the pronouns are weird. Like he'll speak to you momentarily yeah. and you already know like, oh, it's Prince, like that sort of thing. And he gets on the phone, says, hey, what's up, Prince? I said, huh? You know what your name means, right? I like, yeah. It's like, what's up, Prince? I said, not bad. I said, wait, am I allowed <laughs> to call you? This is back in 2003. Right. I said, am I allowed to call you that? Oh, uh, he's, he's a like, symbol. He's like, yeah, you know. He's like, brothers still call me Prince. I said, oh, good. Not bad, Prince. Later found out he named his son Amir. Amir only made it for 10 days, but they named him Amir. I never knew that. And I was just like, wow, that's crazy. One time he sang my name in Sign of the Times instead of having a baby calling him Nate. He looked at me and was like, Let's fall in love, get married, have a baby We'll call him Amir And I was like, oh wow, that's so cool And what does Khalid mean? Um, I think it
0: means leader Or you know what it means <laughs> It also means gift from God I'll take that too The first part of your life was very Amir You were the prince You were reluctant to sit in that throne Very reluctant, yes And now you've met your Khalid moment Yes And this is the moment where you take the throne Thank you this this might be one of the best
1: podcasts I've ever done. Where you force me to face face the mirror. That that's what it should be. Where I have to deal with. This is almost like therapy. <laughs> it's crazy.
0: Appreciate it. Amir Khalid, thank you. Amir Khalid Thompson, hailing from the famed fight town, Philly, PA, currently fighting out of New York, New York, standing at a towering six feet two inches, fighting at heavyweight. To this day, Radio Raheem. To this day is a luminary original podcast. It's produced by Pilot Boy and Alex Kaznov for Salt Audio. Executive produced by Dave Chappelle and me, Radio Raheem. Most importantly, I'd like to thank my mom. You may know her as Dr. Rita Muhammad, without whom none of this is possible.
1: Original audio production, music and sound design by Salt. Executive produced by Pilot Boy. Executive produced by Noah Garsh, Jamie Shefman, Nick Panama, and Kenzie Wilbur. Creative producer, Alex Kaznov. Executive producer, Elliot O'Day. Head of production, Liz LeMay. Head of engineering, Jordan Galvin. Production manager, Ali Strobel. Post coordinator, Alice Byrne. Edited by Jeffrey Muchnick, Mixed by Salt. Additional editing and sound design by Jasper Van Dyke and Noah Kowalski.